Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com and ADC Media, producers of fine Catholic programming like Light of the East, and supplier of imaging, underwriting announcements, and promos for Catholic podcasts and radio stations. Inquire at ADC Media 128 at Outlook.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Well, we have already entered the new liturgical year, according to the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It began this month, September, and now we are moving through what is the great, great feast, the exaltation of the cross. So maybe it's time to check in with someone who does a lot to promote and to immerse people into the liturgical year. And in fact, he does a lot of things to promote what we promote on this program, Christian unity. So we have here today, we're privileged to have once again, our good friend Jack Fiegel from Eastern Christian Publications and the Orient Time Illumin Conferences and Trips. Welcome, Jack, to Light of the East once again. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever, Father Tom. Good to be with you again. Well, Jack, there's always a lot to catch up on with you. You're out there and the <laughs> you're everywhere. You're in the trenches, you're on the mountaintops, you're everywhere. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Well, it's been a busy year the last several months, uh, with uh, video recordings of liturgies in New York City with Father Ed Simbala. Our Oriental Illumin Conference was on the theme of One City, One Bishop, talking all about jurisdictions. It was very exciting. And then in July, I led a group of 35 people on the Light of the East number 3 ecumenical pilgrimage, and uh, was one of the most fantastic trip I think I, I could ever imagine. Really? Number three? And Okay, so why is it number three? Well, as you recall, you and I started about six, seven years ago, Light of the East Pilgrimage, where we traveled to Rome and to Constantinople, mm-hmm. with audiences with Pope Francis and ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew, and we had about 40 people go with us, including Metropolitan Callistos, the leading Orthodox theologian, and so that was the first one. The second one was a smaller group that we just went to Rome and Byzantine Italy. That was the year when uh, there was the coup attempt in Turkey, so it was a little dangerous to travel there. Uh, this time, though, it uh, all started last year at our Oriental Own Conference when we had 
Patriarch Gregorius, the retired patriarch of the Meltite Greek Catholic Church from the Middle East, as a speaker, and he invited all of us to come to Jerusalem to hold a conference. Well, we sort of morphed that into, rather than a conference, just a pilgrimage. And so uh, we, we built, for the first time, a, uh, a trip that went to the Holy Land and to the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, we added to the trip then uh, a couple of days in Constantinople and a couple of days in Rome and put together a two-week pilgrimage uh, that we then labeled Light of the East Number 3. And so it was in the Holy Lands? Yes, that was the that was the principal sort of center of the of the trip, and uh, was some of the most exciting uh, things that uh, we've ever done. Uh, and for me personally, it was my first time to the Holy Land, so it was. Oh, it was your first time? Yeah, and uh, all the travels I've done, it was my my first time ever to the Holy Land in Jerusalem. Jack, I can't believe you you mentioned a moment ago that it was six years ago already that we did our first one. Yeah, I think so. I know because Pope Francis was new then. That's when they were. Just going to have the synod on the family and so on. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, uh, so this was uh, our third uh, pilgrimage, and uh, like we had about thirty-five people. It was uh, as ecumenical a group almost as you could get. We had about fifteen or so Eastern Catholics, most of them Ruthenians, but a few Mel. We had about ten or so Roman Catholics. Uh, two of them were priests. Uh, we had. Um, uh, four Orthodox, one of whom was a deacon, and then we had a Presbyterian minister, a priest of the Church of Christ, a Methodist lady from here in Arlington, and an evangelical who was <laughs> accompanying her mother-in-law, who was uh, uh, needed a lot of help with walking. So it was quite a quite a range of faiths that that traveled together and prayed together, as well as a great uh, variety of ages. Uh, all the way from a 13-year-old from Brooklyn who came with his mother and brother, all the way up to Patriarch Gregorius, who I think is about 83 or 84 years old. Wow. Now, where is he stationed? Uh, he's retired um, outside of Beirut in Lebanon. And he's the Melkite Patriarch. He was the Melkite uh, Patriarch. He retired two or three years ago. And so now he, he has various projects that he works on, fundraising, hospitals that he's building, and trying to look after the refugee problem throughout the Middle East, especially in Syria, where he's originally oh, from. Yeah. Now, how was the Middle East, or going to the Holy Lands, of, of particular significance for the work that you do? Well, it, it's, uh, it was interesting to learn the ecumenical nature of how the city of Jerusalem has to function. Yes. Uh, it was it was uh, quite fascinating, especially the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh-huh. uh, which is a church within a church. Yes. It's a very, very small church that was the original one built by uh, Constantine and Helen when they found the cross centuries ago. It's been added onto and built over top into the current larger structure, and uh, that larger structure also includes Calvary. So the Church of the Holy Sepulchre has what they call a small it's the edicule, which is actually built over the tomb yes, yeah. uh, of Christ's resurrection. And then not more than maybe 50 yards away is Calvary. Yes. And both of those holy sites are within the big exist there now. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting because when you go there, it shows you the, uh, the, <laughs> how the two lungs of the church breathe together. That church is called, by the Eastern churches, called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or sometimes Church of the Resurrection. And I believe that the uh, Latins call it, or they call it Holy Sepulchre, and I think um, Church of the Crucifixion. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, we always refer to it as, as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. 
Uh, it may be that the Eastern Christians call it Church of the Resurrection. I, I do know it has had those two names. And they, they did some... fascinating is there's an agreement called the status quo, mm-hmm. where there are three or four jurisdictions, different churches, who sort of have to unanimously decide to do anything yeah. within, within the church. And each has their section that they're responsible for. So you have the Roman Catholics, mostly Franciscans. You have the uh, Eastern Greek Orthodox. You have the Armenian Orthodox uh, and a couple of other groups. And they all sort of share the usage of the building, and they have their own chapels and spaces uh, spread throughout. And what was of particular significance in your experience there? Well, in Jerusalem and in the Holy Land in general, uh, there were two things that I found very, very odd, or or something that I had never realized when you read Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that Jerusalem has such change in elevation, uh-huh. ups and yeah. downs, and the the walks and cobblestones are are just uh, just very difficult uh, in terms of height. You, yes. you don't get that sense from reading Scripture that Jerusalem is literally built on multiple hills. Yes. The other was I never had really the sense of how far Galilee is from Jerusalem. Yes. Galilee and the Sea of Galilee and where Christ uh, you know, was raised in Nazareth and all the places we hear early on in his ministry in Capernaum and Cana and the Sea of Galilee with the fishermen is literally hours drive by bus away from Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Yes. And to think that back in those days, they walked. Yeah, they walked. And the other, the third thing that struck me was it was just so hot. Now, we were there in July. Oh. I, I expected heat, but when we drove through Jericho and got out to, to sort of see a few things and look at the religious goods store that was on top of the hill, it was 125 degrees outside. Oh my gosh. And that's not, you know, feels like. It was 125 with humidity. Oh no. Yeah. My goodness, how did you survive it was, it that? It's just, uh, I mean, the, the temperature on the bus up above read like 45 degrees Celsius. <laughs> uh, so it was incredibly, incredibly hot. It was, it was like an oven. And if you can imagine just living in that, and I don't think any day that we were there, eight days in Jerusalem, that it was below 100 for a high for the day. Oh my goodness! Wow, it went over 100 even in the city. The people hold up okay. Well, you know, the tour guides were all telling us drink lots of water, be well hydrated. So um, you know, everyone tried to follow that. There were some some parts of the trip that some of us just you know were just too tuckered out and yeah. and stayed in the hotel room, you know, and so. But it was it was an, an incredible trip. Well, you know, what our listeners have to remember is that just as you you touched on it briefly, is that. We actually can thank the Byzantines, the Byzantine Christians, which you and I are, right, Jack, uh, yep. for really marking the original and traditional sites of the, of the Holy Land. So they, Constantine Helen would come and find, like, for instance, they found the True Cross. They would build a church over those spots. So a lot of the archaeologists, a lot of the biblical scholars depended a lot on the work of the Byzantines. And this was going back in the fourth century that they were able to preserve and put churches and markers on what was probably the original sites of the time of Christ and before. Yeah, it was it was just incredible to be able to to stoop down and touch the slab that they found yes. on which Christ laid 
And when we went to Bethlehem to stoop down and touch the place under the cave where he was born, it was just an incredible spiritual experience of, of being right there physically where he was. You know, you never read the scriptures the same again. You'll never experience or think of those stories in the scripture again once you've been there. Everybody should try to get to the Holy Lands. It, it really is a life-changing. It's, it's faith-changing. It, it really is, is something. It's, it's a special, special place obviously, and uh, claimed by many, and unfortunately, they, they fight over and so on. But basically, Jack, things were peaceful when you were there, right? Yes, very very much so. We, we uh, did not run into any problems. We did, though, just to prove the point about multiple jurisdictions, uh, we wanted to video record the, some of the prayer services that we conducted in, like, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the Church of the Grotto in Bethlehem, and also at uh, Annunciation Cathedral in Nazareth. And we had to get permissions to film because we were using tripods, so it was a little more you know, sophisticated than just your iPhone. And we had to get filming rights and filming permission from three different jurisdictions. Oh. Each one, Indians, the Greek Orthodox, and the Roman Catholics, all to agree to allow us to, to you know, do what we were doing as of recording and make a documentary out of our trip. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Jack Fagel from Eastern Christian Publications and also from the Orient Tommy Lumen Conferences and Trips. I'm Father Thomas Loyal on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. This is Bishop Christopher Coyne for OLPH Radio in Burlington, Vermont, and you're listening to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. And our guest today is our good friend, a good friend of the church East and West, actually, a valuable friend of the church East and West, Jack Fingal from Eastern Christian Publications. That's ecpubs.com, right, Jack? ecpubs.com? Yep, that's right. That's where we have all of our books and other publications. And in fact, tell us a little bit about that. Because, you know, Jack, people are always asking me, especially because when they hear our program and so on, they're often asking me, where can I go to get this or that source of Eastern, you know, things Eastern, especially prayer books and, uh, you know, chutkis and things. And tell us what you have. You, you, I always oftentimes direct them to you as kind of kind of like one of those one-stop places, one-stop shop places. Yeah, at least in terms of publications, I believe we're probably the, the largest Eastern Catholic publisher, if not in the country, in the world, in that we've done some two or three hundred books We've done eight years now, starting our eighth year of our monthly Theosis magazine, a print subscription. Uh, we've also converted some of these books into ebooks and electronic material. We also do a daily prayer service and have a smartphone app. We've got lots of prayer material, all Byzantine, all following the Byzantine Divine Office that's uh, in English. 
that you know lots of and lots of people continue to use from around the world and especially of course in the, in the United States. And that's again they can go to ecpubs.com, correct? That's right. That's where we have all our publications. Then we have videos, hundreds of hours of lectures, special events, liturgies, mostly in Slavonic but also some English special uh, trips and um, all of our Oriental Lumen conferences at the olfoundation.net website where we have a catalog of all these videos. We also have a YouTube channel with over 100 videos that you can watch for free. So uh, we have lots and lots of uh, video material for the younger generation or for parishes to use for adult education if they want to have a lecture series. Uh, we have lectures ready built for things like the Great Fast and other times we want to uh, have you know a lecture series by someone like a Robert Taft or a Metropolitan Callistos mm-hmm. or any of the other uh, presenters, and including uh, a couple of programs by you, Father Tom, on iconography especially. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So again, then go to ecpubs.com. You did a couple of special things during your trip in, in the Holy Lands recently, Jack. Tell us about that. Yeah, we, we had uh, prayer services in a lot of places that we went. We did not have uh, enough time because they have especially in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, very limited time periods when they give groups to have prayer services. So we we didn't have a time in a lot of places to have a Byzantine liturgy. And, of course, with the Byzantine liturgy, there's a lot of things you need. Yes. Prosphora, discos, (laughs) chalice, censer, incense, vestments, that are very difficult to do when you're traveling or when you're in a place that's not set up as a Byzantine church. So instead, we we used a lot of akathists. Uh, in our prayer. And uh, the Byzantine office and the Byzantine tradition has such a rich variety of prayers that these Akathists, I thought, were, were very, very effective. The two that were very special, one was, of course, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And I found in a book of Akathists that I have on my shelf, an Akathist to the Tomb of Christ, Whoa. <laughs> which I had never heard of or seen or prayed. And I was researching it for this trip, trying to find something to do special in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and I found this. And it's poetry that you pray to the tomb itself. Wow. It was absolutely phenomenal, and we got a special uh, time slot in the Crusaders Chapel that the Franciscans that have their section of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre uh, use for all of the the Latin masses and and prayers. And we had a, a, a special private time on one day while we were there that we were able to go into this back chapel through the through the sacristy and through these little walkways to get to and it was uh, surrounded in stone and we we prayed to the tomb it was absolutely uh, absolutely amazing the other special akathist we did was that there's of course the akathist of the mother of god mm-hmm. is frequently uh, we use it for uh, every oriental Lumen conference and this time because we were going to three places constantinople Jerusalem and Rome, it occurred to me it would be very interesting to do the same prayer service in three different places devoted to Mary, Mm. and to do the first third of it in one. So we started with the Church of Blaherna, the site of the protection of the veil of the Mother of God. So we did the first stanzas, the first third of the Akathist in that church. Then a, a few days later, when we were in the Holy Land, we prayed the second third in the Church of the Annunciation, again, dedicated to Mary. There's a large Latin basilica in Nazareth uh, called the Church of the Annunciation, and so 
we were able to use one of the chapels there for, for that prayer. Uh, so we did the middle part, or the middle third. And then the third part we concluded in Rome on the last day of our trip uh, in the Church of St. Alphonsus, where the original icon of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, the icon of our pilgrimage in Uniontown every year at the Basilian Women's Monastery, we did the third part of the Acathistomary in that church in Rome. So we had one prayer service that we're going to link together by video in three different locations. Wow. It's going to be very, very unique and special. Yeah, very special. Wow, what a brilliant idea that was, to, uh, those well, three places. inspiration of the Holy Spirit when we were planning the trip, so <laughs> I, I can't take full credit for it. <laughs> and as always, you managed to connect up with some dignitaries of the church. Have, did you have any of that experience, too? Oh, yes. Yes, we had, we had two. Uh, we were hoping for three, but we had two very special audiences. We actually built the trip around visiting with what we hoped were going to be three patriarchs or church leaders. The first was Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew in Constantinople. The second, Patriarch Gregorius, who had invited us to come in the first place. And the third, we were hoping to have a, an audience with, with Pope Francis. But unfortunately, Pope Francis took the month of July off his vacation, his first one since he's been Pope. And so uh, instead, we met with Cardinal Koch, the ecumenical officer for the Vatican, the president of the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity. The ecumenical patriarch received us in a private audience in Constantinople, and Patriarch Gregorius joined us in Constantinople. So two patriarchs uh, met for the second time. Uh, The first was at an Oriental Women Conference 10 years ago when Patriarch Gregorius came. We went for Vespers. The Patriarch greeted each person at Vespers, and we all got little crosses. And then Divine Liturgy the next morning, I think it was the first time in history that an Eastern Catholic Patriarch attended a Greek Orthodox liturgy in the Ecumenical Patriarch Cathedral of St. George. Well. Jack. <laughs> and he, he was seated right up front in the first first row, the first seat. Uh, I was a few seats away from him, and uh, Patriarch Bartholomew was in the throne of St. John Chrysostom, you know, all through the full Orthodox liturgy on that Sunday. And you, you got this on film, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then the this. second audience we had with Cardinal Koch in Rome, after we had a, a liturgy down in the grotto of the tomb of St. Peter in uh, what's called the Lithuanian Chapel, and that took some special arm twisting because usually they don't allow groups when they have mass in the grotto of St. Peter's to sing. So we had to get special permission and a special time so that we could sing our full (laughs) Byzantine liturgy down in the grotto. And after that, we walked down the street to Cardinal Koch's office. He met with us for an hour, explained to us what the Pontifical Council's role is and, and its function, how it's organized. We presented him with an icon that we had commissioned, three icons that we gave to each of the patriarchs, so we gave one to Cardinal Koch to give to the Pope, of the patrons of the three patriarchs who were, you know, sort of with us spiritually on the trip. So we had a unique icon of St. Francis, St. Bartholomew, and St. Gregory, a painted by an iconographer in Rome. We gave him that as a gift, and then he answered questions from the group, one by one, uh, as people wanted to ask him things about where things stood. He was very gracious and answered all the questions. And then at the end, I asked him 
if he would, uh, uh, you know, take a group picture with us, or would he be willing to greet each person? And uh, I'd feel very, very good to have a cardinal say to me, well, whatever you want, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said, oh, well, if you have time, Your Eminence, uh, it'd be great if each person could come and greet you. And so everybody lined up and came to the front of the room, and he spent literally a minute or two talking to each person, asking where they were from, their name. He really, really engaged with them. So in some ways, it, I think, was better than having an audience with the Pope because the Pope is so busy yeah. to kiss his ring or kiss his hand and, you know, get a, get a little, a little you know, a rosary. But with Cardinal Coke, he just, he, he talked with each person, engaged them, uh, and it was just a marvelous, marvelous experience. Well, Jack, we just have a little bit of time here. I just want to ask you one quick question.